Welcome to Hot Off the Press, a podcast that provides knowledge and emotional support for new and aspiring printers. I'm Jillian of Studio Soprano. And I'm Mariah of Mariah Creates, and we are two letterpress printers who believe in sharing our knowledge and learning together. We're here to help bridge the gap between antique printing methods and modern design. So hang up your apron, put down those palette knives, and let's get into what's hot off the press. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Hot Off the Press. I'm Jillian from Studio Soprano, and I am here with my effervescent co-host, Mariah of Mariah Creates. Hi, Mariah. I love that. Effervescent. (laughs) I like that a lot. (laughs) It's true. It's true. (laughs) I really like that's like that may be the best compliment I've ever received. Effervescent is fun. (laughs) I love it. It's very fitting for you. Um, Okay, we're so glad that you joined us today because we're going to be chatting a little about the history of a very popular manufacturer of our beloved flatbed presses or or proofing presses presses. as they're (laughs) technically known. They're technically known as a proofing press. Um, And that is the good old Vandercook and Sons. Love them. Love that. Uh, I'm just going to dive right on into this history. Yeah, let's waste no time. Let's go. <laughs> let's do it. So Vandercook and Sons was founded in 1909 by Robert Vandercook in Chicago, Illinois. Whoop, whoop. Shout out to Chicago. Um, apparently the Great Lakes love manufacturing printing equipment. Yes. Seriously. <laughs> like what would we have done without the Midwest Great Lakes area? Like, I don't know. Crazy. I do not know. Um, prior to the founding of this company, printing proofs were either made on a roller press, which depended on gravity for its impression, or a Washington hand press, which if you go to pretty much any printing museum, you're likely to see a Washington hand press. They are gorgeous machines. They have like all of this beautiful detailing on them. So absolutely gorgeous, but they are quite clunky to use. And to actually operate them at full speed, they required two press operators. Um, One would do inking, one would lay the paper, put put the thing down, push it in, press it, um, pull it back out. (laughs) So it was like this whole... Um, that sounds like a lot. Yeah, it was this whole coordination. But the thing about the um, Washington hand presses is that they're... Bed was large enough to do two full sheets of newspaper in size, which oh wow, can you imagine setting the type for two full sheets of newspaper? First of all, no, second of all, (laughs) proofing that sounds like a big beast of a job, like that's a lot of text to try and visually correct. Like, I can't even imagine like proofing all of that at one time, sounds like I would miss something for sure. Um, yeah, wow, yeah, and so even with their two press operators, like full speed. Um, they're only pulling four prints a minute. Wow. So like that's 15 seconds. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So um, clearly there wasn't like a very efficient way to proof. Um, yeah. And Mr. Vandercook actually owned and operated a weekly newspaper called the Evanston Press. Ooh. And he really saw the need for this, um, especially because people were starting to request like multiple colors so basically i'm assuming like a black and then a red and stuff like that and 
there just was no really efficient way for um, printers to be pulling proofs of stuff yeah. that quickly uh, to really meet the demand. So he set out to create a more efficient way specifically for proofing. So, um, you know, there's definitely a division between jobber presses where you're trying to get like a high yield of prints and then like a proofing press where you sort of want to look at a larger piece of work and you don't necessarily need like maximum efficiency, like thousands. I would also say that a proofing press, um, I think one of the biggest advantages to a proofing press, if you're actually using it for that purpose, is that you set the form, like, especially when you're working the type, you set the form in a flat bed. Yeah. So then you can make, like, you don't have to have it fully locked up to make adjustments. So right. on like a platen press, you're pulling that chase fully out of the press, putting it on another table or something, unlocking the coins, and then you have to lock it back up, put it back on. Whereas a proofing press, you literally can just move things around right there in the bed of the press. So exactly, exactly. Yeah. So um, when Mr. Vandercook started his company, they made their first model, which was known as a rocker press. And um, it did exactly what they wanted it to do as far as making it more efficient by use, utilizing a geared cylinder. And that ends up becoming a common theme throughout all of the Vandercook presses is that they use a cylinder versus um, you know, a lot of these, like even the Washington hand press, it is still technically a flat bed, but it has like, um, a flap that goes up that you put the paper on and then you, you gravity pulls it down yeah. and then you push it under a part of the machine that you crank down to add the weight to make the print. Um, but gravity was still like a major key element into pulling prints. Yeah. And Vandercook's geared cylinders eliminated the dependence upon gravity, which not only increased the efficiency, but it also increased the accuracy of the prints that were being pulled. Yeah. And all of that helped to solidify that company's domination of the proof press industry in the 20th century. Like they yeah. just like took off. Yeah, that's really interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah. Um. So over the course of their history, um, which was 75 years in business. So congratulations to them. <laughs> <laughs> they ended up introducing 60 different press models. Oh. <laughs> um, but they only made 38,000 presses with their brand name, which wow. honestly doesn't feel like a lot. If you think about like the mass manufacturing that's done today, like Apple's probably making 38,000 iPhones a minute. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, even Chandler and Price, you know, we'll talk about this in a different episode, but they made a hundred thousand over almost about the same amount of time. Yeah. That's crazy. So I would say that that's probably a contributing factor to their current market value because we know once everything switched to offset and these antiquated presses became surplus, people were chucking them. Trapping them. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think like, out of what we started with, which is 38,000. And that's probably across their 60 different models. So the models well, that we really like is even a fraction of that. And, and then a fraction of that got junked. Like yeah. you're down to not many at all. Well, and probably of that 38,000, a fraction of those also probably went out of use while they were still making new presses. Like true, whether they true. broke or something went wrong or whatever, you know, like yeah. it's really interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, and one thing that um, Vandercook's presses are really known for is um, like their very acute precision. So this gets talked about a lot when you research them or even when you're looking at their documentation or when you talk to like, um, you know, careered printers. The Vandercook's ability for precision with within the machine itself not even necessarily the prints I mean obviously the prints are very precise but the precision of the machine itself was like remarkable for the time that they were being made which is really impressive because a lot of precision stuff gets um you know German manufacturers get a lot of uh credit and recognition for their precision machining um, but we were doing it here in Chicago and it is actually so finicky that like I have seen um, people who are acquiring flatbed presses and Vandercooks today um, actually digging up the floor of their shop and then resurfacing it uh, to make sure that it's perfectly level because these oh. presses are technically supposed to be on like a hundred percent level surface. Interesting. And then there's all these little things that you can like dial in and tweak to make sure that the machine is like in its exact perfect position. Yeah. So it's just really fascinating because, you know, I look at my press and I'm like, I don't think there's anything precise about you. I feel like somebody carved out a mold and dumped some iron, in it, cast yeah, iron in it and was like, it's the, this is good enough. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Stamp of approval. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's yeah. Yeah, platen presses are not known, I would say, for precision. And I mean anything that's cast iron is probably not going to be, whereas Vandercook is kind of, I think, like the entree to machining for a lot of that stuff, you know, like moving into the forties, fifties, sixties with Vandercook, like that's a huge difference from eighteen eighty, whatever your challenge Gordon was created, you know? Yeah. 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 So I'm just gonna quick um I'm going to kind of ad lib here a little bit because there is this amazing um, resource on vandercookpress.info is the website where they have an entire history of all of the models that were released. Um, And like I went through and I was like, I don't even know what notes to pull from here. Like (laughs) it's it's so much. It's all so amazing. But I just want to talk about like a few of the presses that they manufactured. So um, this first one that I am looking at is in 1909. It was called the Trip Action Proof Press, aka the Rocker. So this is the one that I had just talked about. Um, and there's a little ad printed by Vandercook um, that shows an image of this press. And it's pretty cute. <laughs> um, and it's called the 11 by 25 and a half trip action Vandercook proof press. And the little blurb underneath it is that the Vandercook presses were the result of a long series of careful experiments. The bed and the form on all Vandercook presses remain stationary. This general principle of construction to let the work remain stationary and move only the lightest parts of the machine is now being adopted in construction of machine tools of every description. It has been found that wherever this principle of construction is possible, the result is always better, faster, and more accurate work. Although the first press was sold in May of 1909, its merit is now attested 
to by hundreds of users. And then it has um, Vanderpoke's little address, which was 559 West Lake Street, Chicago. Oh, so cool. So cute, right? It's so nice to see these little like artifacts. Um, But one of the things that I love here is when possible, they give like prices. So there were four sizes of this trip action sidearm press. And um, the smallest one was sold for $140. Oh my God, and the largest it. one was sold for two hundred dollars. So. Yeah. Well, FYI, I'm scrolling through this because it's really cool to look at. But the like number three, the Vandercook number three proofing press, um, which was from like 1950 to 19, 1940 to 1957. Uh-huh. This 1950 era one um, price in 1950, one thousand three hundred and sixty dollars. Ten times that now. Ten times that easily. Yeah. So yeah, so these, and then if you, um, if you do look this up, we'll, I'll probably add some photos to, um, our Instagram as well, but the first model is like really simple. It has, um, kind of the body frame that our CMPs have of those, like two, those legs that kind of have the arch between them. Yeah. Um, and then just like a flat bed and then a cylinder that clearly like rolls over them. Um, And then obviously, as time goes on, the machines get progressively a little bit more complicated, but they never really get to the point of, let's say, like a Heidelberg with a lot of, you know, bells and whistles. But they do add a substantial amount of rollers (laughs) to these proof presses. Even the uh, 1950 and 1957 Vandercook, uh, the Vandercook 15 galley proof press which had a bed of 15 by 26 and weighed a whopping thousand pounds. That was one that had a motor driven ink drum and a synthetic rubber draw sheet. And when you look at it, you're like, okay, this looks more familiar with what I know as a Vandercook. And there's obviously a lot more parts to it than their early, uh, early presses. But at the end of the day, it's just rollers. Like it's yeah. just a bunch of rollers, yeah. um, maybe a motor to drive those rollers, but a lot of them were hand cranked. So um, yeah, they're really simple to use and they have impeccable results. And Mariah and I are going to talk a little bit about our experiences of printing on these kinds of presses um, at the end of the episode. But anyway, highly recommend going to vandercookpress.info slash timeline. And it will literally show you all of the presses that they've manufactured over time. It's so fascinating. Yeah, that's a really cool resource. Um, and it's really fun to just scroll through that. But um, I want to loop back. So the one press that I said was like $1,300 or whatever. So I did the the Googling of uh, $2,000 in 1950, by the way, is now equivalent to about 25000 today. So And that sounds about right. Yeah, which is honestly, so basically when you spend 15 grand on a Vandercook, you're getting a deal. <laughs> you're, get, you're getting a steely dealy. <laughs> yeah. Not that I we want to drive it. up the pricing any more than they already are, but. Yeah, if you're sense, selling your you Vandercook, know? do not add a couple zeros, please. In fact, please call us. Let us know. Um, yeah, especially, especially if you're in. California. California. Or yeah. Nevada. We'll go with Nevada too. Or Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere on the West Coast. Um, yeah, cool. 
Yeah. Okay. So the real big story about Vandercook to me is how many times this company traded hands? Like it it went on a journey. Okay. So as I, let's just, in 1909 is when it was started, right? And for 75 years, roughly, it was owned by Robert Vandercook. Actually, kind of a little less because in 1968, um, E.O. Vandercook sold the company to Illinois Tool Works, who only kept it for four years before they sold it to one of their managers, Hugh Fletcher. Then Hugh renamed the company Vandersons Corporation. So he kind of like shortened it. Yeah. Um, and he focused their efforts solely on manufacturing just a few models. And these are the ones that we're all going to be much more familiar with than most of what's on the timeline. But it's the HS27, the SP20, the SP25, and the Universal One. And right now, like if you were, I would say, and the SP15, like if you're going to go and shopping for a Vandercook, you're likely going to be seeing a lot of SP15s because they're a little bit smaller than some of these other um, SP models. And I think they were probably just popular or small enough that they weren't junked. To me, that's the biggest thing is I feel like the reason that a lot of Vandercook survived the toss out is because they actually also functioned as a table. Whereas like if you had a Chandler and Price and your printing company was switching over to offset printing, that Chandler and Price is taking up valuable floor space and it offers you absolutely freaking nothing. Whereas like you could at least pile some shit on a Vandercook and forget that it's there. Yeah. You can at least like put some books in the cabinet underneath and like yeah. have your have your coffee on the bed of it uh in the morning yeah 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 it totally I mean it totally acts as like a cabinet and a table and like you know if you didn't need that space for your offset printer you've already invested some money into this press yeah. like just you know don't get rid of it so I do think maybe that's why some of them like more of them survive than not but I yeah. could be wrong yeah. I know that that would happen to me and actually after seeing a lot of print shops, I feel like machines getting buried and forgotten is a very common thing. Well, also like those, all the people that we have ever seen with presses in their garage and equipment in their garage or their basement, just like, you know, you just keep putting things in. Yeah. In, in or on. And around <laughs> and on. And then all of a sudden you can't get to any, you know, it's like that kind of actually helps it be preserved because you can't get it out of there anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's what Hugh was up to um, when he had the company. And then in 1976, Vanderson's Corp stopped manufacturing altogether, but they continued to sell parts and supplies for the thousands of presses that were still being used, which is really nice because um, I do think that since these weren't particularly marketed as jobber presses, I do think that they were probably still used. especially for large prints like posters and stuff, but mm-hmm. they could have even still been used to pull proofs like of just yeah. some things, you know what I mean? Yeah, so absolutely. the fact that they were still manufacturing parts is very kind because nothing's worse than when a company is just like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could still run like test prints or proofs for so, like, you know, cylinder presses on like the big 
you know, the big massive production cylinder yeah. presses. You could still <clears> run <throat> proofs on a Vandercook with those, you know, so. Yeah, because, you know, um, you still maybe. You see it in print or maybe the, or maybe your client wants a physical print, a physical proof, you know, like right. before they go into mass production, so. Right, and some of our listeners may not know this, but even modern printing still uses plates. Yeah. Like we're not setting type anymore for a newspaper, but on the drums of a newspaper press is still a plate. So if you wanted to pull a print of a magazine page or a, you know, newspaper page, you might still want to proof press that it's one singular plate. That's and- why there's still production lead times. I mean, yeah. honestly, like, yeah. you know, like it's if everything was just 100% digital, you know, there would be no like, oh, we have to have all the changes in by like that just wouldn't exist anymore. Yeah. I was just talking to my uncle Joe, who is out here visiting. He's the executive editor of the Times Leader back home. And I asked him, I was like, what? I kind of vaguely remember touring the Times Leader as a kid, but I was like, what is the printing operation? And we were just talking about how newspapers, which are still printed, you know, are printed on these rolls, these reams of paper that are like, uh, like nine miles long. Like it's incredibly long. It's like nine miles long. And the printing press itself is like stories high. Like, it's insane how big yeah. these presses they are. Cat walks around them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so if if you're ever involved with any kind of school field trip or whatever, highly recommend finding a local newspaper <laughs> if they're still in operation and, you know, having some kids tour it or just see if you could tour it yourself um, because yeah. those that equipment is so crazy. Um, anyway, that was just totally a sidebar of newspapers and printing. <laughs> I don't don't know how I got down, but it's fine. Well, we were talking about how Vandercooks, even in the sixties and seventies, could still be used for proofing, right? Like, yeah, so absolutely. Still parts still continuing to maintain these presses, even yeah. After... And I think even then, so like now, um, now a lot of letterpress is done specifically by hobbyists. I would say there's probably more hobbyists than there are actual like commercial letterpress printers. Would you agree with that? I feel like there is. I don't know. It's hard to say. I guess it depends on how you define hobbyist versus commercial printer, you know, but um, I guess yeah. that's true. I, like, I, I don't know. Say, I would definitely say when you're looking for a commercial printer, it's rare to find one that offers letterpress. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, but even before now, Vandercooks were still so widely beloved by artisans that there was already like a huge movement of hobbyists and artisans who were taking up this machinery. And then they were also very popular in schools and any type of education centers because mm-hmm. they are very safe to use. Yeah. So all of that, I think, kind of led so. to the preservation of the very few Vandercook presses that were actually made. Um, okay. But the company passed hands a few more times. <laughs> so last last we left off, um, it was sold to Hugh Fletcher in 1968. Um, in 1989, it was sold to Stuart Evans. And then fascinating, I did not know this, but in 1994, Tom Bell and Hal Stern of NA Graphics purchased the company and moved its operations to Cincinnati, Ohio. 
I yeah, have no I idea. Actually, I actually knew of the NA graphics part of the story. Um, I, I did not. I don't remember how, but um, yeah, I think we'll loop back to that. Yeah, I was very excited um, to find that out. But then in 1996, so that's two years later, NA Graphics and its Vanderson's asset was sold to Fritz Klein, who moved the operation to Silverton, Colorado, where it operates today. Um, and NA Graphics is still a great resource for Vandercook press parts if you have a press and you need to get some parts. Um and just a really quick aside, there is literally nothing more wholesome than the NA Graphics website. It is like a handwritten love note to shoppers more than it is an online marketplace. Um, I remember the first time, like, I, w- I don't even know if I owned Gordy yet, but I was like researching and NA Graphics comes up because the SEO is probably stellar on their website since it's 90% text. Yeah. Um, but when you go on, it's just like paragraph and paragraph and paragraph after info, like of info and very, very p- few pictures other than an adorable shop kitty. Yeah. Which seems so overwhelming, especially if you don't know what you're looking for and you don't know what to do. Um, but like everything that I've read is, and it even says this on the website, it's like, just reach out, just reach out if you have questions. Yeah. So. Check with Fritz. <laughs> yeah. Check with Fritz. Um, And I wanted to check Facebook to see how Fritz was doing before we recorded, because I remember in like 2020 seeing something that kind of made me feel like maybe things weren't good and I got panicked. Um, I haven't seen any new news, so I'm so assuming that no news is good news, but yeah. The sweet post from 2020 was just letting us know that he's doing really well, but he was super bored. So (laughs) the person who posted was like encouraging the community to like reach out to him. And I just love the printing community that like Fritz is just running this amazing business resource for people. And then there are people advocating to be like, hey, everyone check in on him. Yeah, I agree. It's really like sweet to see, but also like, I mean, I think he's kind of in the John Barrett category of like people who are very important to um, absolutely an icon community, you know, like, yeah, it's really important too. We should come Um, up with um, an award uh, for these (laughs) fine gentlemen that have kept us going. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I just want to say Fritz, we hope you're well. (laughs) And um, seriously, if anyone needs parts um reach out to na graphics they're they're great you can get rollers from them i believe like all all kinds of bits and bobbles so yeah i actually bought my uh kelsey tabletop rollers and trucks from na graphics a million years ago so nice yeah um okay so now i will talk just a little bit about some of the presses that were made and honestly i'm just gonna be honest i'm reading this straight off the wikipedia i copy and pasted it because it was an amazing summary and i didn't feel like i could summarize it any better yeah um full credit to wikipedia thank you for having probably every podcast back i feel like all podcasts (laughs) go to wikipedia I mean, Wikipedia, it's funny. Like, do you remember in school, like, we weren't allowed to use Wikipedia as a source, and now it's yeah. like, ah, eh, Wikipedia's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is funny. Um, okay, so before World War II, Vandercook had developed 29 different models, 17 of which were still being manufactured for many years after the war. Um, the most popular of these models was their number four. 
uh, which was first made in 1935 and not discontinued until 1960. So it had a pretty good run. Many number fours are still in use today. Then in 1948, they brought out the 4T, which was used to pull transparency proofs on a type of acetate, which is really cool because the acetate proofs could then be contacted to film for offset negatives. Interesting. So that definitely bridges a gap there because a lot of modern printing is made with offset negatives. Of course, we have more efficient ways to make those negatives now, but you know. Well, that's, I think, a great, like example of adapt or die right like yeah they're like oh let's uh just make the negatives on the vandercook (laughs) yeah a hundred percent um so during world war ii not many presses were made because vandercook was heavily involved in manufacturing for the war effort for which they received the e award and i did not know what that was so i looked it up and it is one of the highest honors the u.s exporters and export service providers can receive from our government which is pretty freaking cool america um yeah america (laughs) not that they probably had a choice to switch over to machining stuff for the war but you know it's cool they did it they did it well they They did did it well and they got an award they did a good thing yeah um so with the exception of models zero one three and ninety nine which were gravity-type presses. So if you remember at the beginning, we talked about how uh, Robert really wanted to get away from gravity, uh, but I guess they made four models that were gravity presses. All the rest had geared cylinders, which is what we know them for. Um, The last models that were designed were the SP series, which stands for Simple Precision. I love knowing what that stands for. I never once thought about what that stands for, but it makes so much sense. I know. I know. Simple precision. And then the Universal Series was uh, the other one. Those are actually both really similar in design, but the Universal Presses were originally designed as test presses for ink companies and paper mills, which is really fascinating. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. So most of those are made with automatic controllers and adjustable beds. And the SP series were mostly hand presses. So um, I know that the Vandercook that I've printed on, which is over at Swell Presses Studio, is I'm pretty sure an SP15. And it's hand cranked. And I love that. I love just, you know, being able to like roll. It's like the easiest maneuver ever. Um, And the SP15 was the most popular of all of their... uh, simple precision series models yeah i've i've used an sp15 and i think a number four i think those are the two that i've printed on yeah and yeah. i would say those are probably the two most popular because even yeah. when i look up um different articles about Vandercook, like people often write about the number four yeah and i think there's one other one that's like that i've seen somewhat regularly i think it's like the i feel like it's three digits um but it's much bigger. It's like a 14 by 22 like print area. Like it's like a poster size kind of situation. Like the bed is like huge. So I feel like there's like in the, in the moderate sized ones, I feel like the SP 15 and the number four are pretty popular. Right. Agreed. Yeah, totally. And I don't have the stats here on it, but a lot of these presses are actually not super heavy. Like the cabinets that they sit on are typically like a very thin steel frame. And, like, the heaviest part is going to be, like, the part that has the rollers and the bed. But I see you potentially looking something up. So you might be looking up how much they weigh. But 
<clears throat> yeah, that uh, that VanderCookPress.info has the weight for most of them. Oh, yeah. So, like, the number four is um, 1,250 pounds. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, so it's, like, the same weight as, like, an 8x12 platen press. Yeah. And notably, a little bit easier to move because you could just, like, put a forklift under it because they have, like, a, a flat bottom. Also because they can be taken apart. Yeah, that too. <laughs> um, whereas, like, the platen presses, obviously, if you really want to, you could take it apart. But the Vandercooks, like, you can remove, you know, the cabinet and all of that. Like, you can remove it a little bit, I will say, a little bit easier. Um, Paul Frank, who's here in the Twin Cities um, and moves presses pretty regularly, has definitely told me of some sketchy and hilarious uh, <laughs> situations where he's been moving presses. And he has, you know, moved... Vandercooks into third floor, you know, attics and into basements and all kinds of stuff through windows, etc. So um, he would definitely be one to ask about that. But um, yeah, it's I would say moving them is, I would say a little more flexible than the platen presses because they can be disassembled a little easier. Yeah, love that. Okay, so besides letterpress proof presses, Vandercook also made offset proof presses. So again, adopt or die. <laughs> um, <laughs> the flatbed presses were the model 2060 wet and 1520 dry. I don't know if that's 20 to 26 were wet or if that was actually the model number, but um, either way, they made some proof presses for offset. And then in 1968, they came out with a model RO4-29. This was a unique four-color model that was an offset proofing press, which is so freaking fascinating to me. Um, and it featured a common impression cylinder surrounded by four printing units. Like, how freaking cool is that? Yeah, that's nuts. So I love it. I've never seen one in operation. Um, I'm, I know for a fact that they exist because Wikipedia said so. <laughs> yeah, that um, VanderCookPress.info, if you go to history and the timeline, like that is actually the first one that is, or one of the one of the ones from 1968. So when you scroll through and you look at it, it's actually really interesting because it's vertical. Like it's a vertical orientation. Hold on, I'm still in the 30s. This thing is so long. If you can understand, this is why I like opened this up and I was like, I can't, I can't make notes on this. There's so much. Oh my gosh, it no. is so cool. Yeah. So there's it's like a little really cool section in the front and then it goes vertical in the back part. It's really interesting. You know, it only weighs 15,000 pounds. <laughs> Actually, it only weighs almost 16,000 pounds. It's 15,850 pounds. Floor space. <laughs> Nine foot two inches by eight foot eight inches, and it's seven feet eight inches high. Oh my what? god, that's just a little guy. Wild, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. The fact that that's just for proofing is nutso. Yeah, um, I like the little do you see the little ad there? Yeah, I do. Ever wonder how you could proof more four color offset jobs in eight hours? No, I've never wondered that, but now I do. <laughs> wow. I love printing press ad. advertising. It's yeah. so good. Oh my gosh. Everyone just, I think we should just scroll this every day and then just bring up another thing. And just laugh about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Um, okay. Now I need to find my notes again. Here we go. So they also made uh, four color wet proof presses, the model 604, which was brought out in 1947 and 10 years later replaced by model 3026 which was made in 1972 
Um, so it is actually pretty interesting that the presses that they were manufacturing had like a decent run, like to go 10 years, even more than 10 years, brought out in 47 and 10 years later. Okay. I will say this, the Wikipedia dates never add up. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. It's always a little bit questionable. You're like, wait a second, that math is not mathing. Take all the math with a grain of salt here, but just know that they made these presses. Um, so I really loved this. I told you already that the early rocker model presses were 140 to $175. But 40 years later, the Model O proof press was still only $175. And other prices in 1955 were like $1,900 for a Model 4 and $23,000 for a Model 604. Um, so the 604 to bring it back was one of the offset ones um which is why those would be more expensive but in 1958 the universal one cost $2100 so they were already kind of more expensive to begin with um they were definitely uh well i guess in today's money it might be about the same but i just clicked on um like the for sale options on the Vandercook site and the very first one is a post from like January of this year and uh the person who's selling uh wanted fifteen thousand dollars for <laughs> yeah which is not unreasonable it's not unreasonable yeah that's kind of like your average cost is gonna be um I would I would definitely say north of ten thousand I wrote 20,000 in my notes, but I definitely have seen them for like 13, 15, 18. So somewhere in the tens to $20,000 range. And again, the most common ones are probably going to be the SP15 or the Universal One or the number four. Anywho, so yes. I'm falling down a rabbit hole of wanting a Vandercook. (laughs) I know. I am I really really want one. I, actually, this is a really good time to talk about our experience. So, um I've always kind of known that those presses are superior for the type of artwork that I personally like to print. Um artwork that is heavily detailed, that um is full coverage pattern, and I have felt very limited by my uh Gordon but actually getting to use one. And it was a really simple, simple print that I did. It was over at Swell Press for like one of their open house nights when they did uh, their retail uh, grand opening. And just the ease of pulling those prints and how good they looked and the level of impression across the entire piece of paper. It's just so unparalleled. Yeah. And I know you've had the same experience. Yeah. I like, (laughs) I'm sick just thinking about it. Um, So I took a letterpress course at the Center for Book Arts here in Minnesota, and um, they teach mostly on the Vandercooks. They have a collection of them. Um, I think they have like six or seven or something like that. So they um, teach these classes occasionally. Actually, I just realized today that I think they're doing the same course, letterpress one in uh, July. So if you want to visit the MCBA website, um, I'll put that in the show notes. um, So you can look at what classes they have available workshops, but July 22nd, they're going to be doing letterpress one, which is printing basics. And that'll teach you everything to uh, learn how to set type and print um, a job on a Vandercook. So 
Um, yeah, it's a fun, I think it's like a six week course. You meet like once a week for six weeks. Um, it's a couple hundred dollars, but I think a really great way to get familiar and learn um, how to print. Anyway, so I learned, I took that six week, six class uh, course at the Center for Book Arts. And that was primarily on Vandercooks. And at the time I had already purchased a tabletop Kelsey, which was a platen press, but a little guy. And um, I thought like, you know, that would be my great like entryway into printing. And if you've ever learned on one or the other, if you learned on a platen press or on a Vandercook and then tried to print on the other one, you'll realize that yes, the same concept is uh, applicable, but it's completely <laughs> different. Um, platen presses are, I think, a different type of challenge. I don't want to say they're harder because everything is, you know, difficult when you're trying to figure it out on your own. Um, but I think that like, there's a level of adjustment with the Vandercooks that is just pretty straightforward and easy. Like you can adjust the roller height with the turn of a screw. Um, the inking is pretty much like, unless you add too much ink or not enough, that's pretty much the kind of exception. Um, and as far as like adjusting for impression, it's really just adding packing or removing packing because you're going to get a pretty even impression across the board. Um, so there's some huge advantages to the Vandercooks and I recently went up to Mary Bruno's studio um, in St. Joseph to print um, a job for a client that um, was bigger than what my press really was, was good for. And <laughs> just walking in there and like setting up, I just put my base down. I put my plate on it in an even way. Um, I was printing with uh, crop marks. So it was I was printing on a larger size and cutting down afterwards. Basically, my only task was to make sure that like left to right and top to bottom like was straight mm -hmm. <laughs> and then it was like smooth sailing. It probably took like, I don't know, 30 minutes to print the whole thing and like, oh man. And just, they like, look gorgeous. No... Yeah. And this massive eight by 10 full, like full eight by 10 artwork, like from every like eight and a half by 10 and a half, like every second, every inch of that was completely artwork like just massive in my brain, like working on an eight by 12, this is a massive piece of artwork that I would mm -hmm. never have been able to do on my platen press um, to that level of impression, that easy of a make ready, like trying to make sure each section of the artwork is even and, um, and everything. It was mind blowing. I literally like texted Jillian afterwards. I was like, it's like, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it was so, I was like, it was so easy. And I do think that a lot of the ease of that comes from having learned on a platen press and gotten familiar with a platen press and gotten good at it. Whereas like, if I was just learning, it would seem like, you know, still challenging, but coming from a platen press, you're like, oh, this is so nice. I love it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's different. It's a different beast. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, yeah. I really feel like I'd say if you have the opportunity to print on one, it's 100% worth doing. And workshops can be a little pricey, like over $100, um, even for like a one-night workshop or something. And I know that may seem like so much money, but the experience that you're going to gain is priceless, even if it doesn't translate to the printing that you would do on the press that you have at home. But working with one of these machines can really open up your mind as a designer and as a printer. And just because you don't have the machine doesn't mean that you can't outsource it or you can't ask to rent some time 
especially because of how safe these presses are. And if a place already does any kind of workshop, they already have a particular type of liability insurance because they're already doing that anyway. It's worth asking. I mean, the worst thing somebody could say is no, but if you ask like, hey, can I rent some time on your press? The things that you're going to be able to print on a Vandercook versus your 8x12 CMP is night and day. Or if you have a tabletop press, I mean, you're going to be blown the frick away with what you're able to accomplish on um, on a Vandercook. Or, I mean, I guess we could say really any flatbed, but this episode's about Vandercook, so I'm being... I'm playing favorites. <laughs> so that is it. That's everything I have to say about the Vandercooks, other than I wish I could snap my fingers and just have one in my shop tomorrow. Um, that would be super ideal. Yeah, I mean, I love that idea. And <laughs> it sounds um, it sounds like we're both going to have to get a Vandercook in our lives here in the near future. <laughs> yeah. One, if not both of us. Yeah. As long as we have one, uh, then we'll be yeah. okay, I think. <laughs> I totally I totally don't mind traveling a little bit to uh, run some prints. You know, like recently I designed um, an art print that I'm super excited about. It's so cute. It's so silly. It's, of course, Taylor Swift. <laughs> but... I would love to print this on a larger scale instead of just five by seven. I also like, I mean, my little fruit prints were uh, five by seven on an eight by 10 sheet. And I think I like how that like white space looks. Um, so, you know, maybe you can experiment with size and see if you like it, you know, as not, it doesn't have to be eight by 10 to be an eight by 10 print. That's so, so true. That's so true. And this is already kind of designed with a bit of white space around it. So Exactly. So if um, you like put it in a, as a five by seven in the center of an eight by 10 artboard, you might really like it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, that was so much fun. I, I feel like there's so much about Vandercook I never quite understood or appreciated that I now have a little bit better uh, grasp on. So there's some good history there. And I mean, it makes, I also have a much better appreciation for the price tag uh, knowing what we know now. So. Yeah, how few were made. The company changed hands a lot. I mean, they yeah. were shut down during the World War. So, um, yeah, it's a really interesting history. And then the fact that it's like made its all the way, made its way to Fritz. It's just to me, I didn't know that. So that's just really cool. Um, yeah, I love our little printing community. Me too. I really think that like there's some good resources in people like Fritz and John Barrett and even I think is it Andrew with Letter Press Things um, or Boutique Junk, sorry, um, in Indiana. In Indiana. Um, there are some really great resources out there if you are looking for presses or parts or, um, you know, just have questions because a lot of these guys have seen everything come through their shops at some point. Um, and have probably answered those questions before. But yeah, it's a great little community once you get to know them. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you learned something very interesting. I hope you take an opportunity to print on a flatbed. If you regularly print on a flatbed, we're very jealous. Let us know if we can <laughs> rent some time on your press, <laughs> especially if you're in southern california and or minnesota <laughs> yeah well we'll share with the with the crowd as well you know if you have a studio that you like to rent out to people or if you teach printing or whatever um let us know because we'll share we'll share with the class 
Yes. Oh my gosh. I would love to do that. I would love to compile a list of those of us who run workshops. That would yeah. be awesome. That would be really cool. Um, that would be really great. So if you uh, do any kind of workshops out of your studio, please write in to us. You could reach us at hello at hotoffthepresspodcast.com or you could DM us on Instagram, which is usually the best because we're always kind of there. <laughs> and that is hotoffthepresspod on Instagram. Perfect. And that's it. We appreciate you guys and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>